Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder and executive director of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. Every year when we celebrate Christmas, one of the things that we do here at the ranch is that I ask everybody to open their Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Because in Matthew chapter 1, we have a different slant on the Christmas story, if you will. Mark's gospel doesn't give us the Christmas story. John's gospel takes us all the way back to the creation of the universe and doesn't really focus in on the details of the Christmas story at all. Luke's gospel gives us the traditional Christmas story that we all meditate on and memorize and so forth from childhood, about shepherds out in the field and about Herod requiring everybody to be taxed and all these different details that we get in Luke's gospel. Matthew tells us the story a little differently. Matthew is the one who tells us about the wise men who come. But when he's first introducing the subject, when he's first introducing the person of Jesus, he does it in a very unusual way by giving us the genealogy of Christ, the family line, the legal line, Joseph. And so Matthew chapter 1, I I do this every year because I want you to know this by heart so that someday when you're somewhere else, you can tell people, hey, let me show you something. Matthew chapter 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abuad, Abuad the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Eluid, Eluid the father of Eliezer, Eliezer the father of Methan, 
Nathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Told you all before that if you come to my house in the foyer, you will see framed a record of my genealogy on my father's side. Now, it's not a complete record, just like this is not a complete record. It is a careful, accurate record, just as this is a careful, accurate record. But it doesn't have all my ancestors on it. It has some of my ancestors on it because one of my father's cousins was a genealogist, careful researcher, graduate of Princeton University, did her work well. And uh, she did all this research and traced my family tree back to people like William the Conqueror. Students of history, you should be impressed. William the Conqueror. Alfred the Great, Charlemagne. I mean, these are giants in the history of Western civilization. Good guys, bad guys, famous guys, powerful guys, and the other people you have to list in order to get back to them. People like Charles the Bald. How would you like it if that's what you were famous for? The end of the day. What did people remember about him? Well, he lost his hair. Okay? Charles the Simple. Louis the Fat. Okay? I mean, these are some of the ancestors in the royal line that you have to include in order to get there. In order to prove that you really are descended from this person, you've got to include not only the famous, but also the infamous and the not-so-famous. There they are, all together, in a frame, on the wall, at my house. And that's what you have here. You have Jesus, the Messiah, being introduced with an appeal to his royal lineage. He goes back to King David. He does. Legally, through his father, who was not his biological father, but legally was his father. But why? Why would Matthew give us a few details that normally wouldn't have made it into a genealogy? Look again at this list and see that it's the father of, 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 the father of. Right? You list the dads. But Matthew throws a few women in there. Is that just for diversity? Or is there something else at work? Let's see who those women are. Abraham is the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. This is the first woman introduced in the line. 
Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. He had a son named Ur. And Ur was so wicked that after he had married Tamar, the Bible says because he was so wicked, God killed him. So now Tamar is a young widow, and she goes to her father-in-law, Judah, and says, I'm a widow, have no child. Your son Ur, firstborn son, is supposed to be the heir. We need to follow the practice of leveret marriage, which means now Ur, the late Ur, his younger brother, is supposed to be my husband long enough to give me a child who will then be the heir in the place of Ur. And so Onan goes into the tent to sleep with his late brother's widow in order to give her a child, but he deliberately practices a form of conception control that gives him sexual pleasure and gives her no child, thereby totally abusing her and abusing the Leveret marriage law in order to use her for his pleasure and not take care of her needs and his late brother's legacy. So God killed him. So Tamar comes forth from the tent and she says to her father-in-law, Onan died too. Um, could you send in your third son, please? Now, put yourself in Judah's shoes. Ur went in the tent. They had to carry him out dead. Onan goes in the tent. They have to carry him out dead. Now she's asking for my third son. I don't think so. So he says, uh, he's too young right now. Wait till he's older. But when he gets older, Judah arranges for him to marry somebody else. And Tamar realizes that she's going to be a widow with no one to take care of her in her old age. So realizing that she is being treated unfairly, she waits till Judah, her father-in-law, is going on a business trip. And then she dresses up like a prostitute, which back in the old days meant that you cover your face and cover yourself. It's not the way that it's done today in the city. But back in the old days, prostitutes were kind of embarrassed about what they did for a living. And so they showed less of themselves, not more of themselves. So she is covered up like a prostitute, waiting by the side of the road where her father-in-law is going on a business trip. And he turns aside to have sexual relations with her. And he says, what do you charge? She says, I would like a kid, which is not a pun in Hebrew, but it is in English. And I don't want you to miss out. Okay, well, she wanted a young goat. He didn't have any in his robe. So he said, well, I can get that for you. Um, and she says, well, meanwhile, leave me your ring and your staff. Those are two things no man would want to be without. That's like your wallet and your cell phone. Okay? Leave me those things. 
while you go get the kid. And he says, fine. So he has sexual relations with her and then goes to get the kid. When he comes back, she's gone with his ring and his staff. And he is embarrassed. So he finishes his business trip. He goes back home. No ring, no staff. Don't ask. And some months go by, and his servants come to him and they say, your son's widow has disgraced his memory. She has obviously been immoral. She has had sex with someone because she is now pregnant. Well, you know what the penalty for that is. We don't tolerate immorality around here. The penalty is death. Bring her here and we will kill her. So they bring her. There she is, pregnant, and she says, do you want to know who the father is? Yes. Yes, I do. We'll kill him too. She says, well, I didn't catch his name, but here's his ring and here's his staff. Well, of course, everybody there knew whose ring and whose staff that was, and all of a sudden they're all going, because this is embarrassing. And Judah says, she is more righteous than I. Because he realizes, not only was he immoral, but he had mistreated her and failed to keep his commitment to her and take care of her. And those are his children she's carrying. He thinks it's one, turns out to be two, Perez and Zerah. And out of that story of incest and deceit and immorality, out of that story comes a pair of twins, Perez and Zerah. And Perez is the father of Hezron, and Hezron is the father of Ram, and the line continues. That's kind of an embarrassing story, isn't it? That's not the kind of thing you want to put up on the wall. If you come to my house, you will see a genealogy, but we will not highlight those folks. Charlemagne gets a pretty big box on the chart. Louis the Fat, just a little line. Okay? I mean, if you, if you look at the family tree, why would you want to call attention to that? He could have simply said, Judah was the father of Perez, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram. He didn't. He said, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Hmm, okay. Well, so that's an interesting woman to include. Let's move on. Verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. I know that name, Rahab. Why do I know that name, Rahab? Because in Joshua chapter 2, there is a prostitute who is a pagan foreigner living in Jericho. And she puts her faith in the God of Israel. And God saves her and her family and makes her part of his family, part of the house of Israel, part of the people of God. 
And he not only forgives her and makes her part of Israel, he makes her part of the royal line. Wow! Amazing! That's the story. And there's a spotlight on it. Don't miss this. He could have skipped over it. He could have said, Salmon was the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed. But no, he says, I want you to know, Rahab was the mother here. And Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. She was from the people of Moab. Now, we remember about Moab. Where did the Moabites come from? Oh, the Moabites were the descendant of Lot and one of his daughters. The girls got him drunk in the cave, remember? That was bad. And from that came the Moabites. And God said concerning the Moabites in Deuteronomy 23.3, No Moabite or his sons are allowed into this assembly of the Lord to the tenth generation. God says those people as a group are separated from me. But here comes not one of the sons of the Moabites, but here comes a daughter out of the Moabites that God has put his hand upon. And Ruth, Ruth believes in her mother-in-law's God. And she not only is allowed to marry into the people of God, but she's allowed to be part of the royal line. And from that, eventually we get King David. Folks, the year is coming to an end, and I want to encourage you, if you are in a position to help the children at Wears Valley Ranch, to please do so. You can call 1-866-41-ABIDE. You can go to the website and get an address and send it that way. However you want to work it out, if you're able to help us before the end of the year, we'd really appreciate your help. And if you have any questions about how the funds are used, what do we do, how do we operate, all that stuff is available. We're happy to share it. Please let us hear from you. God bless you. Ruth believes in her mother-in-law's God. And she not only is allowed to marry into the people of God, but she's allowed to be part of the royal line. And from that, eventually we get King David. Look at it. Obed, her child, was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. That is just absolutely amazing, isn't it? So you've got Tamar, sad story, Rahab, sad background, but she turns it around and comes to faith and is welcomed by God. And now Ruth, who had no say over who her parents were any more than you and I had over who our parents are. But you know, the one thing all of us inherit from our parents? Sin. Yeah, absolutely. And every single generation here lives that out, including 
David. Because the last woman who's mentioned in this list before we get to Joseph and Mary, the, the last woman to be mentioned here, not only mentioned, but the reason why he's mentioning all these women is highlighted. Look at verse 6. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother, not even named, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, just in case you haven't caught why I'm mentioning these women, let me point out one specific important thing about David's relationship with Solomon's mother. It was illegitimate. It was ungodly. It was sinful. But then, after David has repented, God gives him another son with Bathsheba. And that son is Solomon. I would never have done that. I would, I would never have done that. If David's heir, I've already promised, if I'm God, that David's heir is going to sit on the throne, I wouldn't let the heir be Solomon, the son of Bathsheba, blessing that relationship that was started in lust and adultery? There's no way. That's, that's as if God can take something bad that people do and bring something beautiful out of it. What's the point of the passage? The point is Jesus is being introduced as the Savior of sinners. You see, if Matthew hadn't turned the spotlight on those women and those relationships, and by the way, it wasn't that these women were more sinful than everybody else. It's that these were some dramatic stories from history of people that we would not want to turn the spotlight on. God turns the spotlight on them and says, this is why you need a Savior. And this is why you need this kind of Savior. You don't just need somebody who's going to ride in on a white horse and destroy the Romans. You need someone who will die in your place as the promised Lamb of God and take away your sins. Because this best of the best, the royal line, is full of evidence that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I want you to know that no matter what your family background is, no matter what stuff has gone on back there, God is able to take your life and in Christ Jesus make something absolutely beautiful. That's why we tell this story every single year. That's why the whole New Testament starts off with this series of names. Because Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That means we're all eligible. Because all of us have sinned. And all of us need a Savior. So well, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't. But God does. 
And he loved you so much that he sent Jesus. And that's really good news. Let me just tell you something. Jesus came to save sinners. So if you've got a messed up heart and a messed up family and a messed up background, you're just the kind of person that Jesus came to save. Hallelujah. That's what Christmas is about. Jesus came to save sinners. Merry Christmas. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.